Speaking of reliability, a podcast with good friends talking with you about reliability engineering topics. Welcome to Speaking of Reliability. This is Fred Shankleberg. Good morning. This is Greg Hutchins, I think. (laughs) (laughs) It'll get all philosophical. Last night, my wife and I were watching some um, older episodes of of, uh, young Sheldon, and he was his going to college days and in the sequence of his things, and he took a philosophy class, and he he had this, you know, how do you know anything kind of question came up. And, and so he got all despondent and science makes no sense and everything else. And, um, in earlier, uh, I got a, a question, not exactly what I wanted to talk about. It was more of a statistics question. Yet one of the elements of it is that we put in metrics in place in different businesses. And like in, in reliability, we often look at, you know, an annualized failure rate or something like that. And, all too often we get a metric that just confirms our desire that we're right, that everything's okay. It, uh, confirmation bias, I think it's called. Um, <laughs> but there's also, yep. you know, all kinds of other tools and techniques that we have. Um, I use the analogy of when I was on a bicycle, oftentimes I was riding bicycles for exercise and stuff. And I was run off the road a handful of times. And people will look right, their face will be right directly at me. I think I'm good. And then they cut me off or run me out. And then afterwards, they're like, oh, I didn't see you. I said, you were looking right at me. And part of that phenomena is I see it in testing. If I'm running a test on something and I expect it to work, I'm preconceiving and built in a filter that doesn't let me see the anomalies or the problems. It, it just blocks that view. So the driver is looking for another car or a truck or the intersection they want to turn on. They're not looking for some guy on a bicycle. And so they don't see, they don't comprehend that they've just seen that. Um, but it, it goes into all kinds of things. And it, it's one of those, um, and I know you like risk and everything, but it's one of those risks that when we design an experiment or set up a, a trials or analyze data or create metrics that we're prone to include all of those uh, biases into what we're doing. And and I, I find it, it's easy to check assumptions if you ask. I don't know how easy it is to check biases. Um so we're developing, is this my turn? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> so originally we were talking about preconceived notions and I tripped up bias. And then you went to a technical interpretation, which is great. I mean, this, you know, we, we try to figure out bias in a, in a, uh, Design of experiments or any type of well, statistics. yeah, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not talking about the statistics side of it. I think that's a measurement error, and there's a technical way to check that and so on. I, I think of like standard deviation. When you do a sample, you adjust for the inherent statistical bias by that's doing right. an n minus one. I'm talking more of that, the filter in your brain that says, oh, it's you know, I 
I expect to see, I'm looking for a truck so I can go around it. I'm not looking for a bicycle. So they just, you just don't see, and I'm using air quotes here. You don't see the bicycle, even though the photons got to you. Um, when you, in, it's more of that. If I have a metric and, and I set it up so that it, I, I don't see the anomalies when they occur because I'm looking for the metric to confirm that we're in good shape. I'm thinking about that, the mental process of we, we set up these preconceived notions of this is the way it should be. And then we don't see contrary information. Well, that's called confirmation bias. So can I reframe that discussion for a second? Sure. Sure. So it's called bifurcation. And this is something that we have to deal with almost daily. And it's embarrassing. And I'll give you a couple of stories. Some of them are shameful, but they're real. <laughs> um, we're doing apps, AI apps. And one of the things is bias, built-in bias. And you're talking about the bias in these learning, large language learning models or models that they get trained on old white guys and then they can't, they don't, you know, they, yes. they, they, they are that kind of bias where they're, where they're trained a certain way. Yes, but it's also... That's really an example, from my point of view, of how we see the world. Mm -hmm. So these tech, these systems, AI systems, or frankly, any system, uh, statistical, decision-making, basically have two components. We bifurcate them, social and technical. The technical, pretty easy to deal with. The social piece, which is bias, discrimination, all that stuff, right? Hugely difficult. So, I don't, you know, this is a true conversation. We're dealing with a national, one of the biggest uh, uh, justice ad, advo advo advocacy groups in the country, and they want zero bias. And what I'm telling them, and that's probably the problem, is I was telling them mansplaining, technical engineering explaining to them mm -hmm. that there's no such thing as zero bias in decision-making, in policy, you know, there's a level that's inherent in social, technical decision-making. In this case, we we're talking about an app, right? right. A uh, decision-making app. But, you know, one example of that is that, let's say you're doing some analysis for field data in a reliability world, and it's mm -hmm. it looks bad. You know, and, and there's... I'm going to go double check my number because I don't want to go tell a boss that their product is not working. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> because uh, there's a, has, we, we already know that, you know, and some bosses in particular really don't take bad news well. And so you, you, there's a social pressure to not reveal it, to, to not talk about it. And where it becomes really dangerous is when it's unconsciously done. Then you have, you know, the groupthink kind of problems and the boss is always right and we're a bunch of yes men type stuff. I think that's where it gets really dangerous. And then what you're going after is with these AI models and stuff is unless you're really well versed with how it was trained um, or do, you know, check the bias factor on it, you really don't know. Well, here's the problem. Uh, and I'm going to be a little bit geeky and technical. Expert systems 30 years ago, 40 years ago, were causal. Inputs, 
process outputs. There was a causal relationship. Then they became a little bit more correlative between inputs and outputs. So what we did, in, uh, we basically said, instead of the inputs being causal to the outputs, there was some type of correlation. You know this from statistics. Mm -hmm. Now, inputs to an AI model, you know, could be very biased. The process is black box and the outputs are hallucinatory. Yeah, well, <laughs> some know? are. We hope some, only some are. Well, uh, a lot of these decision-making models are, and what's happening is there's no human in between. It's called human in the middle. And there's bias, inherent bias in the input, the process, and the outputs. Well, that's that's true even in, in if you're doing an interview with somebody, right? Mm -hmm. You can ask you can ask for, uh, ask a question a dozen different ways, maybe more different ways, and get a dozen different answers. Absolutely. Even though it's really about the, the same thing. Yeah, how you frame it, how you set it up, what's what was before, what was after, what's the context. Um, simple things like asking for facts. I think you we were talking before we hit record. It was, you know, you asked one person, he says, well, I, I think there were 250 people there. And you talk to somebody else that had more like the registration numbers. And it was like, well, there's close to 175. Um, and part of that is the person that was attending is like, well, I, you know, I don't know exactly, but my random sample of observations and I, you know, whatever that was based on it, it's based on prior experience. It's based on wishful thinking. It's based on all kinds of stuff that we, and we do that all the time. And those are biases. Yeah. They're baked into our decision-making. So let's take another model. And you and I, and just everybody does this. It's called the heuristics. Uh, we've been in the reliability field 10, 20, 30 years. We've seen these design of experiments. We've done them. We've seen this type of data. And what do we do? We do rules of thumb. Yeah. There's bias in that. What's the bias? Our experiential model. It, there's... If you get really fancy with it and call it Bayesian, then you can, you know, do more statistics on it, but it, it takes more work. Uh, <laughs> the hard part I find, and is what I, um, I was I was on uh, recording some episodes with Chris uh, Jackson uh, earlier, and one of the questions we got was, what's the difference between hazard rate and failure rate? And there's technical differences sometimes they're interchangeable sometimes they're not but i think what's important for today's discussion is that that person actually asked the, took a moment and said well what is the difference of this you know what, what's the nuances of this because depending on where you go online you you're going to get a dozen different answers depending on what that particular person or writer or author or creator view on the subject was and so i the hard part about bias and dealing with it is one recognizing it. Ask you the right questions. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And I mean, we, I try to help people in, in the statistics and the engineering type stuff is check your assumptions. And the first step of that is recognize that you're making a bunch of assumptions. If I am using a, a control chart out of the box, do I have enough samples to justify the assumption that it's normally distri distributed? Now that's technical and we can go test that stuff. And there's usually a short list of important um, assumptions about your data set or data collection or errors or whatever to, that you need to check and to do a decent analysis. 
yet if it's my boss comes in and says, should we go with vendor A or vendor B? And, you know, the numbers might be vague as to a clear winner from one point or another. But then you start thinking about, well, how far away are they? What geopolitical aspects of it? What are they, all the other risks to this thing? How, how replaceable is their technology? And blah, blah, blah. You, you go off into a rabbit hole and, and you deal with this more often than I do with, with companies and organizations is dealing with those fuzzy uncertainties. And then at the end of the day is go with your gut, which is another way of saying, go with your bias, go with what you think is right. Which is another word for heuristic. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. It's interesting. You, you know, you're more technical, a lot smarter than I am and all that you know, engineering stuff, you know, I'm a hack essentially, but what I focus on is the decision-making is the business side and which is basically come coming down to deciding how you're going to decide, which essentially is asking the right questions, coming up with your assumptions, right? And then figuring out what is reasonable for a decision. That to me is the bias, is, is the bias question. What is reasonable? That's it, that's a way to protect yourself from bias or, or to recognize it? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's actually two things. It dem is demonstrable due diligence and due care. We've done the right things right. You've, everybody talks about, you know, doing the right things right. It's, you know, <laughs> good management. It's good work and all that stuff. Right. To me, it's the reasonableness threshold. You've did the right things right. If you do, you basically have met those two legal things of due care and reason and due diligence. Then you've got some type of cover. If there's litigation, you know, you basically made a decision with the best knowledge at hand, with the best assumptions, like you said, written down, right. Yeah, yeah. You know, you did the right thing, right. Well, that, I mean, a complete tangent to this is I remember when I first got into industry and as an engineer and scientist type roles, we had lab notebooks and, you know, we'd write all this stuff down and, and, and our boss would, you know, review it and say, well, this isn't complete. And, uh -huh, and uh -huh. it was kind of a, a documentation of the processes that we were using to set up experiments or make decisions to, you know, yeah, we're going to go with this solution, this concentration, this, whatever, and this is why. And I, I heard that and it was a, I don't know if it was, talking to you or was anyway i one conversation <laughs> recently was um design documentation you know as you go through the process of creating a system design and you're laying out everything is oh it was with enrico and it was what's missing oftentimes is a a comprehensive not a slide deck but a report that says here are the critical decisions and here's what we did to to make those decisions, which is related to what you're talking about. Um, Deciding to decide. Yeah. And, and, and documenting it so that if conditions change, you have the reference to go, Oh, that would or would not change our decision because we can get refreshed. We don't have to recreate the old situation. We have it documented. The deciding how to decide can also be a trap, especially if I had a boss one time as I took him some experimental results and he goes, well, that doesn't agree with I, what I want it to be. Go do it again. <laughs> <laughs> well, that goes back to the thing that we started with. 
preconceived notions. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and if your boss has got a different point of view, guess who's going to win? <laughs> well, I eventually I got overwhelming evidence and I think he was just trying to make me, you know, show my work and get enough samples to prove it or whatever. And you know, check my assumptions and do all that stuff. He was clever that way. He'd get get under your skin to make you go do the do the right stuff. Um, I always joke about it, you know. But it well, his idea of, of checking a software package is <laughs> load the package and then crash on you know bang on every key on the keyboard until it it stops working. <laughs> like okay, that's not a use case, boss. You know, come on. <laughs> So I want to light this up a little bit. You know, we were talking about what are we going to call this program? Yeah. So, you know, somebody a couple of months ago said uh, to me, uh, you got to check your privilege, Greg. <laughs> yeah, I said, say what? And I, you know, I was respectful. You know, I didn't, I didn't respond with or react with a snark. Maybe we should call this program, check your bias. <laughs> well, it's but that's a, I mean, that's the real topic I wanted to get after is that it's it's not the same as measurement error. I mean, there is a statistics bias in many of our processes and procedures and statistics and regression analysis and everything else. We're making assumptions, and a lot of times we don't even check them. Yet, inherent in the process, there's a bias, and that's why I use that example of standard deviation. Is we as statisticians, correct for that bias. It doesn't get rid of it completely, but that's a technical bias. There's also a bias of that preconceived notion. What do you think the answer should be? Now, I am a been a long time advocate is that you should, you know, do a thought process of going, well, if I'm going to run this experiment, I'm going to run this production line, I'm going to launch this product, what should happen? You know, how many sales should we get in the first week, the first month, and so on? And people spend a lot of time getting those estimates and, you know, estimates or predictions or forecasts or whatever in place. But we do that for a very rational reason as well. How many do we need to produce? What I've run into is that nine times out of 10, we sell more or less than what was predicted and then don't react to it. We stay fixed on the schedule for far too long. And then we're in an emergency, either having excess inventory or can't find enough capacity. And by the way, that fixation you're talking about, mm -hmm. uh, there's a bias for that. It's called the anchor bias. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew there was more than one. I, I knew the confirmation <laughs> bias one, but, it, but it's the, it, there's so many of these different ones. And part of it is having a name for them is a a way I think to, you know, double check yourself. And, and if you're going after to make a decision that the insidious part is using that example of the, we're off from our forecasted sales is that it's an anchor bias, which means that we we're going to stay with the status quo or, or the plan until the anchor gets pulled out from the ground, basically. And it has to be <laughs> overwhelming as opposed to saying, we're tracking these metrics. What's the threshold of, of difference that's significant that we need to pay attention to that matters? And instead of just having, oh, it's a hundred sale and then we sold 120, does that matter? Is that within, a, is that enough of a difference that we need to change the future forecast or we need to change production? And 
So part of it is, is that we'll set a forecast or an expectation mm -hmm. of how an experiment should go or whatever, but we don't set the triggers. Yes. So this is my final thought for today's podcast. I have words, three words, very simple words that I look at when I use them. And I hopefully use them a lot less. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. Anytime I use those three words, there is always in me, and again, this is very personal, there is a bias there, mm -hmm. expectation, a need, uh, a requirement. And to me, when I use those either in my own self-talk or I use that with, with my daughter or a customer, there's always a bias. And I just simply stop and I say, what's going on? Because that's my trigger. Mm. Yeah. Now there's plenty of techniques on it. We'll have to see what kind of questions we spark out of that. It's, um, you know, I'm going to say it. Anybody that's listening to this, you've got a bias. Is it, <laughs> does it matter? Right. Is it affecting the results you're getting? Is it affecting the decisions you're making for good or for ill? And do you know, that's the hard part. And so let us know, head over to ascendoreliability.com slash go slash uh, S-O-R. Um, and you can find a couple of ways to get in touch with us there. Greg and I and the other hosts of the show are available through LinkedIn and or about pages on Ascendo. So I don't know. It's I, I didn't know exactly which way we're going to go. I was having trouble defining it. So thanks for or for helping me put a frame around this and, and getting uh, hopefully a, a useful discussion. I think it was. So we'll wrap it up there, I guess. Thanks, Greg. All righty. Do I have the last word? Yeah, go for it. Check your bias. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Greg. You bet. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Speaking of Reliability. We invite you to join the conversation if you have a question or a topic that you think we should discuss in a future show. Please let us know. You can find a comment box below the episode show notes or just leave a note as part of a review on iTunes.